Hello and welcome to the week seven edition of the Megapod here on the lines, lines.com. If you are watching us on the YouTubes, thank you. Hello. Please hit that subscribe button down below. If it's the audio version, subscribe, rate, review. We're going to keep climbing these charts. It is Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy. You want to follow Adam on the Twitter machine at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y. Stephen Andrus at Stephen Andrus one. If you want to follow me at Matt Brown M2. Fellas, we got uh we got the bye weeks, of course. They are they have started. We have teams coming off of bye. We're going to try and figure out how we want to play those teams. We've got a couple of interesting games in which now some injury news and other things that are going on have certainly affected the spreads a ton. Thursday night under uh under our belts already. Nice little W. So we move on. Let's kick things off right off the top with a game that I really love, a game that I have uh, a good bit of money invested in. Atlanta Falcons at the Cincinnati Bengals as we sit right now. Six and a half point favorites are the Cincinnati Bengals at home. 47, 47 and a half is your total. Adam, I am going to tell you I like the Cincinnati Bengals in a teaser. I like Cincinnati Bengals. I, when it was at six, I really, really liked it. Will it get back to six? I'm not quite sure. Um, but I certainly like them as a contest play. I like them pretty much every which way you look at this game. Tell me why I should not. All right. I'll tell you why you should not. However, I'm also going to support your bets. Okay. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the NFC South. And that's why you should not bet on the Cincinnati Bengals. Love now, it. I told you that I believe the best way to play that wager is to wait until after this week when they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals and to go get that number. Uh, think about what the Falcons have done thus far this year and the fact that we've seen an offense that is sort of the junior version of what we're getting out of Philadelphia. They're using emotion-heavy option primary offense with Marcus Mariota. They're three and three and think about the games they've lost. They blew a big lead late to the New Orleans Saints. They were a throw into the end zone away from coming back from 28, three down to the Los Angeles Rams. And they were a phantom Grady Jarrett penalty away from having a drive to come back from 21 down against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So all of those things said, I can tell you that the Falcons are a team that is live in just about all situations. But this week in particular, you see a Cincinnati offense that's starting to find its footing and is coming home in a really good spot where you still have the Falcons shorthanded minus Cordero Patterson. Now they're also minus Casey Hayward. And I think that's a big, big injury for them this week, trying to cover all the weapons Cincinnati has. Yeah, I uh, if you look at this, Stephen, what if I were to tell you, and this is nothing more than a fun fact, that the Cincinnati defense, for whatever reason, is the only team in the NFL to not surrender a touchdown in the second half of any football game so far here in 2022. That is a fun fact. That is maybe not actionable information. Who knows? Maybe it is. Maybe there. Maybe the defensive coordinator has figured something out in this NFL where he is able to make some serious adjustments at halftime. But it has been a defense that has shown up each and every week. And more than anything, I think the actionable information just so far is that they've been consistent. Joe Burrow coming off his best game of the season, 28 for 37, 300 yards, three touchdowns. He even ran for 25 yards in that game. But the big thing for me in this and the reason why I'm so heavy on 
Cincinnati in this one is guys look we all talk about coaching we all think that Zach Taylor is at the bottom of the rung when it comes to coaching however we have to give credit where credit is due the guy made an adjustment and not a lot of coaches do that and certainly not a lot of bad coaches do that last week Cincinnati ran shotgun basically every single snap 96.4 percent of the time the only time they didn't was quarterback sneaks so we're going to call it they ran shotgun every single snap for the entire game. And I just mentioned, oh, and what did that result in? The best game that Joe Burrow has played all season long. If he's going to play behind a shoddy offensive line, and um, then you got to give him a couple of extra seconds to, to figure out what's going on, at least a couple of yards for him to try to assess the situation and all that. And plus, what that also did, weirdly, was – they were far more efficient in the run game. And I think maybe because if you are in shotgun and you're running just shotgun every single time, the defense doesn't necessarily know what's going on because if you're under center, nine times out of 10, you're running the ball in today's NFL. And so I think that that helped as well. They ran out of the shotgun 14 different times, 0.32 EPA per play when they did that, 5.36 yards per rush when they did that as well. So I really look get credit where credit's due. He's still a bad coach, and I think he's one of the bottom in the NFL, but he at least realized what he was doing with this offense was broken, and it was not working, and they did something different. Atlanta, allowing a 69% completion rate on the season. That is 31st in the NFL, 7.2 yards per attempt, which is 22nd, 4.1% touchdown rate. Also, dead last in pressure, and 30th in sacks. Steven, I understand it's been a fun offense. It's been cute. They've been this little comeback kid team. They've been down a lot at halftime, by the way. These covers that they've been getting have all come on comebacks and garbage time and things like that. I don't think it happens this week. I love, love, love Cincinnati. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the stat about their defense and the adjustments they make in the second half because this is not new to this year. Their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, we talked about in the preseason mm. how good he was last season at making halftime adjustments. From week 11 through the Super Bowl, the Bengals held opponents to three points or less in the third quarter in 10 of those 12 weeks, and the opponents only had seven total plays in the red zone in the third quarter in that stretch. So I think this is a future head coach we're looking at in Lou Anarumo. But to further your points on the other side of the ball, I think Joe Burrow is starting to come on here. I think he's gotten off to a slow start. He had the appendectomy, missed some practice time, was adjusting to an offensive line that hadn't gelled yet. Joe Burrow, let's not forget, was number one in the league in CPOE last season. At this point, he's not quite there yet. He's 13th on the season. But in the past three weeks, he's up to sixth in that span. I think they're starting to figure some things out. Atlanta, to Adam's point with the secondary injuries, they don't have a top 40 PFF coverage grade corner even when they are completely healthy with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd coming at them now this week. So, yes, Atlanta, everybody's talking in the sports betting world. They're 6-0 and against the spread, but... Two of the three above-average yards-per-play games they had were against bottom three EPA defenses. The other was a week one game. And Cincinnati's defense is top 10 in EPA and success rate. So mm -hmm. a lot lines up for them here. I, I think this is a tough spot for Atlanta to win the game. So I do like your teaser angle there. 
Um, with it being under seven, I'm, I'm tempted to just bet them straight up. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but it would be Bengals or pass for me. Detroit Lions on the road at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Detroit Lions coming off of a bye. This should be the healthiest version we've seen of them since week two. And we remember in weeks one and two, this offense, not the defense, but this offense was kind of the talk of the NFL. They were lighting up scoreboards. Amon Ross St. Brown was lighting up the box score. Jared Goff was actually playing semi-decent. DJ Chark, Swift, everybody was going and moving really, really well. Now, that being said, last few weeks, there's been injuries. The offensive line got nicked up. But you think that the time off has this team as close to healthy as we've seen since week two. On the other side of the ball, we got the Dallas Cowboys, where Dak Prescott has declared himself as the starter for the Dallas Cowboys. We do know that he was officially medically cleared. And so we will have Dak Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys. They are seven-point home favorites here over the Detroit Lions, 49 is your total, Stephen? I guess the question becomes this: Is there any pause for us in betting the Cowboys or backing the Cowboys with Dak Prescott coming off of an injury, his first game back? That is not a you know an ankle or a whatever. It's a hand where you know I don't know if you know this or not. I've never been to one second of medical school, but I think throwing the football, oh. having your hand being healthy, is fairly important. So uh, there is at least that for us to deal with. With that analysis, I would accept your med school application. Yes, pretty sounds yes. pretty solid as it, to me. As you should, as you should. You know, I remember a few weeks ago, Adam was very upset because Dak Prescott got hurt, and it robbed us of the opportunity of fading this Dallas Cowboys team when they were getting all kinds of market respect. Well, we're back, baby. The Cowboys are seven point favorites against a team that is the backdoor king in the Detroit Lions. Great spot for Detroit coming off the bye week, getting fully healthy. DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown should be good to go. And we're talking about a Dallas team who is still one of the most undisciplined teams in the National Football League. They are still 27th in penalties per game with more than seven per game, just like they were last year under Mike McCarthy. Dak Prescott, first game back. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's rusty. So I, I think the the shellacking at the hands of mm -hmm. Bill Belichick has started to color the picture a little bit too much here for Detroit. They were down a lot of key pieces in that game. Again, Swift and St. Brown. But if you take that game out of the mix, this Lions offense is eighth in EPA, second in rush EPA, but below average in success rate across the board. So it's it's they're not necessarily consistent, but they have been explosive. And we're talking about a Dallas team who, when they get a lead under Mike McCarthy, has kind of gotten conservative. They don't stay aggressive. They tend to run the ball, let Zeke eat a little bit. The Dallas defense is legit. I, I think we would all agree they're probably a top five defense in that mix with the Niners and the Bills and Denver, maybe Tampa Bay. Uh, but there's there's a bit of a conflict in their in their rush D stats, which I'm curious to kind of get your guys' opinion on here because. Uh, if you look at grades from Football Outsiders DVOA, from PFF, this is a pretty um, not good <laughs> rush defense for Dallas, which should be a good matchup for Detroit's run game in their offensive line. The DVOA has them 31st against the run. PFF rush defense has them 28th. But if you look at EPA and success rate, they actually grade out really well. They actually grade out like way above average. So... I'm not really sure what to think about their rush defense in this game. And I think that's a really important part of the handicap because of what Detroit wants to do. 
So I, I haven't pulled the trigger on seven, but if, if we were to get a seven and a half minus one fifteen here, I would be in on the Lions. Yeah. So for me, uh, nothing in my account right now, Adam. But I'm wondering if, when the general public, we know that you know, air quote public teams and teams that that people like to bet. I don't necessarily know if that applies now that we are, you know, everyone's betting across the country and things like that or whatever. But uh, the Dallas Cowboys officially, officially, officially announced Dak Prescott in. I'm wondering if we get the seven and a hook. And if we get the seven and a hook, I think it's going to be too much for me to lay off with the Detroit Lions. And I want to ask you this, like if we like if the one thing that we liked about the Lions coming into the season was this offensive line and this offensive line has had now a bye week to get healthy. According to the beat writers, everybody we thought that was going to be out there is going to be out there this week. And the one thing that we like about the Cowboys is the pass rush. Well, shouldn't the Lions offensive line be able to negate this Cowboys pass rush enough to where the Cowboys with a, you know, again, fresh off the IL, fresh off the injury report here, Dak Prescott, keep it within a touchdown? You would think so. And if you look at Jared Goff's numbers, both when blitzed and under pressure, they don't take a significant drop off, which I guess is fairly surprising considering what we think to be Jared Goff, right? In fact, Jared Goff's average depth of throw under pressure goes up by two and a half yards. So it's almost like it encourages him to be a little bit more aggressive than he normally would be in the offense. Now, as you said, the beat writers say that Detroit is going to be a bit more healthy. But if you look at the... Uh, If you look at the injury report, you see that Chark and Swift are still on there, and that is a little bit concerning to me. I think I'm going to use your angle, Matt, and flip it around for where I'd like to go with this game and say, if Dak Prescott officially gets announced and this game steams up, I'm looking for the under. Mm -hmm. And right now it's sitting 49. Obviously, that's a very key number in the NFL. I wonder if Dak Prescott coming back really has that much effect right. on what the Dallas Cowboys are trying to do offensively, right? I don't think it changes a whole lot in in what they're doing. And yes, I believe that the Detroit Lions are, will probably be an offense that looks closer to what we saw in week one, et cetera. But let's remember what that offense was. Yes, they put up 35 points in week one. They did most of that once they were down by three scores. I don't think they're going to be down by three scores against Dallas and just be slinging it all over the field. So ultimately, I think what it's going to do if Dak is announced is have a little bit more of an effect on the total. And again, look at the the fact that the total is 49. Normally, you know, in what we've gotten used to in the NFL, we'd say, oh, well, 49. That's about right. Right. It's the second highest total of the week. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I am hoping at some point throughout the course of Friday they make the hey grand st- Jerry Jones goes on every radio station in Texas, you know, and whatever and all this and declares that Dak Prescott is starting no matter what. And that's his guy and whatever. And then that may- maybe people will react to that. So I think that there is, you know, again, if you're watching this, listen to this, see if any news uh, affected this line or not. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for in this one. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans boys. Do we have a weird game here? Two and a half point favorites are the Titans. 42, 42 and a half is the total. So Adam, we have to decide. Are people too high on the Colts because of the win last week? And because if we saw, you know, Matt Ryan drop back and throw 156 times in the game and, you know, with no Taylor, they just decided that they're going to be, you know, a run and gun offense or whatever. And, uh, or, or, 
are people overvaluing the Titans, which have actually a couple of fraudulent wins if you really dig into their season so far. And again, guys, we always say, don't just look at the score. Don't just look at the surface level box score. Dig into the box score and you can kind of start to decompose how these wins came about. And the Tennessee Titans have a couple of wins that, again, kind of fraudulent. So where do we stand on this, Adam? Is it a is it a teaser leg with the Colts? Is it just a straight Colts play? Is it Colts on the money line or is this just a pass? Well, you know who you're asking about the Indianapolis Colts, uh, the guy who's been down on them all year now. It, Take that information and weigh it against this. When I do my power ratings, not only do I have my own power ratings, but of course, I'm measuring them against other power ratings to see, okay, am I heavier on Mm. some teams? Am I lighter on some teams? And I have been consistently lighter than pro football focus on the Tennessee Titans. I am not a believer in Mm. Tennessee. I have them 14th overall in my power ratings. And that being said, (laughs) I make this game Tennessee four. And so when I see it at under a field goal, I have a strong lean toward Tennessee. I have not played this yet. I want to see who's healthy for the Indianapolis Colts before I decide to get involved here because they have a number of guys banged up on the injury report. Quiddy Pay might be able to make it back this week and make the pass rush a little bit more effective for Indianapolis. But my lean is to the Tennessee Titans. I'm not going to get super deep on this. I gave it to you in terms of what I have for for power rating. And I agree with you that both of these teams have some major questions question marks next to them steven we got a super low total and if somebody came to me and said i want to play the colts in a teaser even though no matter what you feel about the colt no what your no matter what your personal opinion is you're going to get eight and a half points in a game with a 42 total i'm not saying that this is in your account i'm not saying this is going to be in your account what i will say is it would be hard for us to make the argument against especially with a team like tennessee that we know If Tennessee is doing what they want to do and if Tennessee is doing what they do best, then that means a ton of running, a ton of Derrick Henry, play some defense, make you uh, make you kind of play the field possession game with them. And that's kind of how they get out with an ugly sort of win. So, again, not in my account quite yet. I'm not saying that it won't be, but I do think that no matter what your feelings are personally about the Colts, it's pretty tough to argue against uh, an eight and a half point teaser leg here in a, in a game of the total of 42, specifically with the opponent being the Titans. You know, it's interesting. I, I hear Adam say that he has the Titans minus four in this game. Matt, you and I were part of the, the Lions power ratings or power rankings this week. And for a reminder for everybody, we do that based on who we would have favored on a neutral field for this week. And we both had the Colts slightly ahead of the Titans. Now, there's a couple factors here. The Titans are coming off a bye, so they have a rest advantage. And I think we would both agree that a couple spots here and there in this tier is negligible. Right. Like, I think these oh, are basically the sure. same, right? Yes. So I, I wouldn't say that the Colts are, you know, maybe tenths of a point better than the Titans at best here. So um, I've been trashing the Colts all year. And I don't want anybody to confuse my overall opinion of the Colts here because they lost yards per play to the Jags. The Jags covered that game for the first 59 minutes and 43 seconds, and then they weren't covering on a deep ball. I just think that the Titans are just as bad as the Colts, and I'm not sure that I would ever be interested in the Titans being favored in a game like this. Um, divisional opponent. If this got to three, I think I'd be interested in backing the Colts at this point. 
I think maybe I'm I'm being a little bit too biased with my recency here, but um, you know the, we know the Titans are going to want to run Derrick Henry. The Colts are around league average on the season against the run, but in the last three weeks, they're bottom five in rush EPA and success rate. They've regressed yeah. there, so that's a that's a tick in the column for the tight for the Titans. The last matchup, the Titans. 14 of their 24 points came on drives inside the Colts 40 after Indianapolis turned the ball over and they were outgained 5.8 to 4.7 by the Colts. The Indy was just minus three on turnovers, So they lost the game. So to me, regression says that's, that's a tick in the column for the Colts last week for Indy. They, they completely abandoned the run. Like, so I'm curious if, if they're going to continue to do that with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines back in the lineup this week. I, I hope they do. Because the Titans certainly have a pass funnel defense. They're number one in run stop win rate, but 21st in pass rush win rate. They're 29th in pass DDVOA, and they have zero corners with a top 40 PFF coverage grade. So, uh, and the Titans run at a snail's pace offensively 30th and situation neutral 32nd and second half pace. So this isn't a team that's going to run away from you and win by big margins here. I don't think, especially in a divisional game here. So I'm kind of on the fence here. It's probably a teaser leg for me. And here we are, you know, our, our retirement after getting crushed by the bucks last week, lasted as long as Tom Brady's retirement. Here we are back on the teaser train again. Listen, listen, (laughs) teaser legs, look, teasers. It doesn't matter what form, Wong, not Wong, whatever, traditional, non-traditional teaser legs have been uh, have been rough so far this yeah. season. So, I mean, but again, I think with this one, as good a one as you're going to find, there's one I will talk about a little bit later that I think is one of the best ones of the entire season. So, you know, other than that, uh, you know, back either one of these teams, I think at your own at your own peril. It's just yeah, a, I agree. I'd be I'd be interested in maybe like a half unit if we get Colts plus three. But I think. Mm-hmm. If it, I don't think if we're going to get to that, and I think teaser leg here is the way to go. Green Bay Packers and the Washington Commanders. Right now, the Packers are four and a half point road favorites. Forty one and a half is your total, and uh, yeah, uh, we got uh, we got Taylor Heineke. So that is going to be your quarterback here for Washington for at least the foreseeable future. I don't know, maybe not for the foreseeable future because maybe they decide to go to Sam Howell at some point. But uh, at least for this one. We get Taylor Heineke and then uh, we get a maybe banged up Aaron Rodgers in this one. We know there's something going on with his hand, something going on with his thumb. They're playing it pretty coy. He's playing it close to the vest. No shocker with Aaron Rodgers. But Adam, when we look at this one, my everything inside of me keeps saying no matter how bad the commanders have been, you're getting four and a half points at home. Maybe there is a maybe with Heineke at quarterback, this team is a little bit better. There's at least an added dimension with his legs, you know, so there's at least that when it comes down to it with this commander's team. And you have a Packers team that is maybe about as broken as we're ever going to see them. The defense is terrible. The offense is dysfunctional. Aaron Rodgers, again, maybe with some sort of hand injury or something. That being said, I tell myself all of this. And I look at the statistics and I see some stuff that really does point in the direction of, hey, maybe it's worth a little bit of a of a gamble here on the commanders. Yet I can't put it in the account. Why is that? Because you've watched Taylor Heineke play a full season because you watched the Washington commanders for the last six weeks. Look, this is a bad, bad team. 
And that's why you have not been able to make this mm. bet. And so I say all of that not being a stand for Green Bay or, or for Aaron Rodgers. Going back and watching some of that game against the Jets last week, because obviously I don't think we were surprised by the result of mm-hmm. the Jets being competitive and no. or winning, but blowing them out, I think, is at least sure. one that gets your attention. Two things stand out. One, Green Bay can't stop the run. And that's part of why I had New England uh, a couple of weeks ago in Green Bay with the what was it? Ten points at the time. Go ahead and go ahead and try find that one one more time. Um, but. Look at also the fact that they can't protect Aaron Rodgers. They just have not been able to give him any time. And of course, the combination of is it the receivers or is it the line with Green Bay has come down to it doesn't matter because yeah. something's if wrong, they can't, right? Some, yeah. something's, something's wrong. The mm-hmm. receivers aren't separating. And if the offensive line could give a little bit of time, then maybe those receivers would be able to separate. Well, if the receivers were separating quicker, maybe it wouldn't work. matter if the offensive line were bad. That's the problem right now with Green Bay. So you're not going to get me to lay it. You're also not going to get me to bet Taylor Heineke. So I'll pass. Yeah, Steve. I mean, listen, here's the thing. While, you know, this this Washington offense obviously has been abysmal, the defense has at least been league average. They blitz at a fairly high rate. They get pressure at a fairly high rate and they weirdly are decent against the run. And so you would think the path of least resistance for the Packers would be to try and throw against them. Um, but we're, you know, we don't think that the Packers team can move the ball through the air. So it's just a very weird, what is going to win out ultimately in this game type situation. We do have the squeaky wheel narrative that is going on because Uh, They have come out and say, Aaron Jones has got to get more touches. Aaron Jones has got to be more involved in this offense. We've got to get the ball in his hands more. So if you want to play this thing, maybe from a prop perspective, maybe you want to go that direction. I don't really know. How do you see this one? Well, to Adam's point, this is not plan A for this passing offense to have Randall Cobb have 13 targets one week. And then the following week, Robert Tunyon have double digit targets too. Like that is not plan A. Like that is Aaron Rodgers not having faith in the rest of his his perimeter receivers. So it, I don't think it's any surprise that that Jeremy Fowler of ESPN came out and said that they're in the market for a wide receiver before the trade deadline. The one name he brought up was Chase Claypool of the Steelers. So they they clearly are not happy with the core of receivers that they have with Devontae Adams leaving in the offseason. This is one of our lead writer Eli Hershkovich's favorite bets this week. No stranger to plugging his nose is Eli. He's on Washington plus four, uh, plus five, I think he got it at. Um, I tend to agree with him. I haven't fired it yet, but I think I'm probably going to if I can get across the bridge and and get plus four and a half or better. Not really losing anything coming off the fives there is a dead number. I went back to my preseason notes on Taylor Heineke. I, I don't think he's any good. I mean, he threw 15 picks last year, but I think this is at least an interesting note that Washington ranked dead last in average target depth over the past two years combined. And Carson Wentz was dead last in accuracy on passes thrown within five yards of the line of scrimmage the the last two years. Taylor Heineke was third. So the easy stuff that they're trying to execute in the passing game, Carson Wentz isn't a good fit for. Heineke at least can can make the layups, right? Like you can get guys like Dotson. You can get guys like McLaurin, who's an excellent route runner. Uh, Curtis Samuel, now that he's healthy, he's a shifty guy. Get these guys in space near the line of scrimmage and just get some yak. I think Heineke can at least do that. 
Um, well, and, and the, the other flips, thing about him yeah, is, ahead, is, is the other thing about him is is he's at least going to target McLaurin. Like for whatever reason, Wentz <laughs> was just not Wentz was not targeting McLaurin. Like I don't know what the deal was, but like he just can't get off. We talked about it over yeah. and over again, Matt. Wentz looks at his first read. And if it's not there, he panics. So and at least at least Heineke might. I don't care if he locks in and throws to to McLaurin fifteen times in this game. It's probably a better strategy than what they have been doing to this point because, like, not utilizing your best playmaker and not utilizing a guy who actually is a game breaker and can get you easy scores and stuff. Should he be able to break up break loose, like that is probably a better that's probably a better recipe for success for this team than what they're doing right now. For sure, and I don't think this is a on the on the other side a switch that just gets flipped at some point for the Packers' offense. I don't believe that. You mentioned the thumb for Rodgers. The offensive line's banged up. Washington's number three in pressure rate, number twenty offensive line and pass block win rate for the Packers. So it's a bit of both. It's 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 really a bad combination when you have receivers mm-hmm. that can't separate and a and a line that's bottom half of the league in in blocking. So. And if they want to get Aaron Jones involved, by all means, go ahead and try. But they are 21st in run block win rate as well. And Washington's top 10 against the run in EPA and success rate. So I don't see any type of like big margin win here for the Packers. I think if they pull it out, it's probably a close game. And I'm also kind of looking at some I'd be curious, Matt, what you think here. Plus 134 available on the Packers, plus 140 available on the Packers to miss the playoffs. I'm so invested in the Vikings. It doesn't like it's not I, I, I'm not interested in it. Right. So, like, I mean, if they miss the playoffs, then I'm going to get paid regardless because the Vikings are going to win that division. So, like, I, it doesn't for me personally, it doesn't really jump off the page. But, you know, I guess I wouldn't talk somebody off of it if it came down to it but again interesting here and guys we do i talk about aaron jones and him getting more involved uh cheap plug right here if you go to the lines and you look under odds there will be a thing that says prop finder you can click on prop finder and in your state you can type in anyone's name you can type in a team you can type in whatever and then in the drop down click your state and it's going to show you the very best place that you can find any sort of prop bet for whatever player, whatever team, any kind of anything like that. So be sure if you do want to play these props, you know, a couple of yards matters. If you want an over, you want an under, you don't want to lose by a couple of yards and a couple of yards matters. And that, there is differences between these books out there. So be sure and take advantage of all of that. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, and 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? 
Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Carolina Panthers. Steven, I'm not going to let you sit here and talk for 10 minutes about this game. It's 13 point spread <laughs> in favor of the Bucks. It is a 39 and a half total. The Bucks are going to win despite how badly we have, you know, despite how badly we have talked about them and how they've looked. They're going to win. The question is, are they going to win by 13 against PJ Walker? We know the Panthers have shipped Christian McCaffrey at this point out of town. Ship Robbie Anderson out of town. Who knows? By the time this kicks off, somebody else might be gone or whatever. Like you know, what, what is what is the number that the Bucks will decide to win by? Basically, is what you have to play. You, know, you have to pretend that you can figure this out in your head. Essentially, yeah, for sure. This was eleven before the McCaffrey trade. If twelve is a dead number, if I can get like twelve and a half, I'd still bet the Bucks here. But I I'm not going to spend all day. But I do want to share one of the most hilarious statistical anomalies I've ever. seen seen covering the NFL so lowest air yards per attempt in the league this year is Kirk Cousins at 6.1 PJ Walker last week negative 0.1 so his average pass in the game was behind the line of scrimmage his expected completion percentage 82.3 percent and yet he only completed 62.5% of his passes. How is that possible? Like, how on earth is that possible? He's the worst CPOE in the NFL in week six, despite throwing, on average, sideways. Don't bet Don't bet the Panthers. I don't care how big. Just don't. Just don't Adam, do it. Adam, 13 points. So I guess, like, here's my if – if someone does want to bet this game, tell me if this makes sense to you. So – Ask yourself, what do you think the max offensive output for the Panthers can possibly be in this game? Seven points, 10 points, maybe whatever, something like that. If the Bucs can't cover that, like you would just bet the under. I wouldn't take the 13. I would just take the under because that means the Bucs, for some strange reason, have broken. Like I mean, like if they can't cover this number because the Panthers, the Bucs defense is still at least relatively good. So it's kind of like, as opposed to taking the 13 for me, I would just play the under because that means somehow the Bucks were unable to get on the scoreboard. It at least gives you an, an another way for an out, at least anyway. That's kind of the only way that I would go about playing this thing. I'm going to take what Steven said and build on what you said. If you look at the heat map of where P.J. Walker threw the ball last week, it was left flat, right flat. That's it. <laughs> it's the only two places he threw the ball. And immediately when this total came out at 41, I smashed under mm -hmm. and that was on Sunday night and now Christian McCaffrey's gone. So if you ask yourself what the max offensive output for Carolina is, it's 10 points. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't have some, you know, defense special teams action, but that's about as much as I see now yeah. on the other side. Let's not forget the Tampa Bay offense is broken, broken. I'm not saying it can't get fixed, but right now it's broken. And so I don't believe Tampa Bay is necessarily a lock to do anything in particular this year. They do face the second easiest schedule in the league the rest of the way. Oh, by the way, the easiest schedule is the Atlanta Falcons. 
But the Tampa Bay offense is not going to necessarily get right just because it's Carolina. I have under. New York Giants at the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. Jags are three-point home favorites, a total of 43. So I look at you, Mr. Adam Candy, and I say, do we believe in this Jaguars team that has found a way to lose some games, which, you know, hey, look, they got a lot of support in. There were some games in which you got a bad, you got bad quarterback play, some untimely turnovers, different things like that. Is that the wrong side of variance for this Jags team? Or is that maybe just who this Jags team is disguised as a team on the up and up? And then on the flip side of that, we have the Giants, who some people will say, all right, yeah, it's fine and dandy. The record is all great, but let's be for real. It's still Daniel Jones. It's still a team with no wide receivers. Are they going to be able to keep this up? Where do you fall on a game that, again, is on this key number of three? It's on the field goal to where if you did want to take the Giants, you know, hey, look, you are you are getting the full field goal in this game. All right. This one's hard for me, and you know why it's hard for me. Like, it's hard for me to give you a reasonable evaluation of the New York Giants because I have now fallen to the place where I have allowed myself to have hope and get excited as a Giants fan, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to feel as a Giants fan. Love, um, love, love. Yeah, yeah. Love, that's, that's difficult. Love, love. All right. I'm done singing the Beatles. Go on. Thank God, because that was painful. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so Trevor Lawrence, when kept clean, has an, a passer rating of 110. Trevor Lawrence, under pressure, has passer rating of 37. Uh, we know one thing. Wink Martindale is going to blitz and he's going to bring pressure and he might have Aziz Ojolari for the first time this year, who was the Giants best pass rusher in the 2021 season. Now, if you read this week, a couple of great pieces, one by uh, Benjamin Solak at the ringer, one by Ted Wynn from the athletic. They discuss everything schematically that Brian Dable and Matt Kafka are doing to maximize the lack of talent that they have. And the fact that Brian Dable came from this pass-heavy offense with what he developed with Josh Allen in Buffalo and has basically embraced this chaotic run game with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley shows that he's willing to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to get something out of this offense. I think Jacksonville is a team that is going to be good next year. I just don't think the pieces are all the way together yet. If you made me take a side, I would take the points with the Giants, but I still don't believe the Giants are all that good. Yeah, it's hard for me to put this in the account. Same deal. If I had to play, I would play the Giants in the points. Listen, there is something to be said for Daniel Jones playing as well as he's played so far this season. He has not been in the easiest of situations Every single wide receiver has gone down that he thought he was going to have over the course of the season. The wide receivers that were supposed to start to contribute have all been hurt. Finally gets Wandell Robinson back last week. Can he become a bigger contributor for this offense? Will he become kind of the de facto number one for this team? There's just a lot of question marks here. Again, I'm not going to rush to back the Jags. I do believe if I had to play it, I'd take the points with the Giants, but Uh, not in the account quite yet. I do think, though, that Daniel Jones has taken a step forward this year, probably very likely due to the tutelage of Brian Dayball, but um, I actually do think he's taken a step forward this year. Uh, What say you over there, Mr. Uh, Steven Andrews? 
I did bet Jags minus two and a half at the start mm-hmm. of the week. That doesn't help anybody right now. But right. I, I mean, I think, it's under the field yeah. goal, and that's a different bet. So what about, it's probably yeah, what, not going that way. The market's mm-hmm. moving towards the Jags, and I think they're they're betting what I'm betting with a bet on regression to the mean here with these teams. But I think it is really easy to argue that the underdog in this game has the better quarterback. Uh, The last three weeks, we have two quarterbacks who are in new systems. We want to see improvement after that first month of the season or so. And Daniel Jones is top five in EPA and success rate. And Trevor Lawrence is 27th in EPA and 15th in success rate. Completion percentage over expected. Jones top three. Lawrence bottom five. So Lawrence is not doing his part with Doug Peterson here, and I think that's part of the reason why you saw them go a little bit more run-heavy last week against the Colts and really should have covered that game. Um, but for the novice better out there, you're, you're looking at this line. Why is a 4-1 and one team a three-point dog against a 2-4 and four team? Overall for the season, the Jags are because they're five and one. <laughs> because they're five and five one. And one. My, my mistake. My <laughs> Thank you. And listen, Brian Dable is a god. First of all, it's mate. This guy's amazing. And if I don't cash my Nick Sirianni Coach of the Year bets, it's going to be because of Brian Dable. Uh, but Jacksonville eleventh in yards per play. Giants twenty second. Success rate Jacksonville sixth. Giants nineteenth. EPA defense, Jacksonville 9th, Giants 22nd. Success rate defense, Jacksonville 6th, Giants 20th. That's why the line is what it is. And people are betting on regression here and and, and getting back to, to you know these numbers playing out to be more wins for the Jaguars over the course of time here. But I am very concerned about Trevor Lawrence here moving forward. So I'm not all that. I, I bet the number because I thought anything under three yeah. was a good number here, but... I have concerns about Trevor Lawrence for sure. And, you know, again, just uh, because of everything being so, you know, in flux, this is actually a very important game for this Jag team. I and mean, listen, the, the AFC South is is ripe for the taking, right? I mean, it is it is wide open. So you certainly don't want to fall to two and five. You get to three and four, you are still in the mix here in this division. So uh, definitely something that comes into play too, I think, with some of these coaching decisions maybe that get called somewhere along the way as well. All right, fellas, this one is pretty interesting to me. It is the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens sitting at six and a half. So it's not quite the touchdown, Stephen, but it is right under Mm -hmm. a total of 46. We have gotten, and now guys, we are doing this extremely early on a Friday. The official injury report will come out later today. So I do say by all means, specifically in this game, go go and find it and figure it out. However, Mark Andrews did not practice Wednesday. Mark Andrews did not practice Thursday. Um, they were saying they wanted to give him rest for something that was kind of bothering him with his knee. As we know, he has been the only weapon for this Ravens team over the last three weeks. The only guy Lamar Jackson is throwing to the only positive basically for this team nearly over the last month of this season. So it is something I'm keeping a big time eye on because I can see myself putting a, you talk about hold your nose. I can see myself holding my nose and putting a Browns ticket in my account, despite the fact that this Browns team cannot defend anybody running the ball. The three of us would average 4.8 yards per carry against this Browns defense. There's no doubt about that. But if, if there is no option for the Ravens to move the ball through the air, I think I'm just going to have to plug my nose and, and take the Browns here. What, uh, what are you seeing in this one? 
Yeah, no way I can back the Ravens at this number with the Mark Andrews situation in flux here. So that you have to wait on that. And I, man, with these records, we are the market is not giving us discounts based on record right this year. It's it's not happening. They're sniffing it out, and we're having to play um, closer to ceiling than we are floors on these teams because. The Ravens are three and three, but they there have been 40 teams in NFL history to lead by 10 plus points in each of their first six games. And then the first of those teams to not have a winning record after those six games. So the market's sniffing this out a little bit. Big number here that the Ravens have to cover. And I don't on the on the flip side, Matt, this this Browns defense, one of the probably the three most head-scratching things I've seen this year. I don't know why they're so bad. They have a lot of talent on this defense. I don't know why they're not better than they are. But at this point, you just have to accept it. We've played enough games at this point where the Browns just are are broken on defense. So I I didn't like side or total here. I was curious what you guys thought of the over here at 45 and a half i don't see this as your traditional afc north low scoring matchup mm. i think both of these defenses are vulnerable we have two elite pass blocking offensive lines as well number one and number three in pass block win rate obviously two strong running games with lamar and company and then nick chubb leading the way for the browns and defenses that are both below average in epa and success rate both below average against the pass Are and the run. Are you betting the game or not, Stephen? Jesus I, Christ, I, I need what's help. going on? I mean, what's going on? I need on? help. Like, I mean, is 45 it, and a half looks good to me, right, but I, mean, I know scoring's been so down this year. <laughs> uh, Adam, I was going to ask you the same thing. Honestly, I think, the, I think the only look for me, I would be looking at it over. I understand it's not too high-flying offenses. It's not too offenses that we look at and we say like, oh, you know, all these weapons and they're going to score real quick. But it's too highly efficient run offenses, and that doesn't mean they can't put points on the board. And too weird, for whatever reason, two defenses that can't stop the run either. And so, uh, you know, at 45 and a half, which is available at several books out there, it's at least an interesting look. Yeah, what's interesting for me is I make this game Baltimore four and a half. And mm. of course, I would look at that and say, oh, well, if there's six, six and a half out there, those are both probably interesting numbers on Cleveland. But think about this. Miles Garrett's on the injury report. Davion Clowney's on the injury report. Wyatt Teller is on the injury report. And so is Jack Conklin. And those last two on the offensive line are what's going to keep me off this game. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that should be is that the Cleveland offensive line is able to run block if they are down on that offensive line and they're not able to run block the way that we would expect that they would, then I don't know that that offense is going to be able to produce anything behind Jacoby Brissett. So I'm passing on this one. Yeah, and I think maybe these defenses have started to figure Jacoby Brissett out a little bit, right? Like we saw the first few weeks of the season, we were like, oh, Jacoby Brissett, by the way, look at these grades and look at all the whatever, and he's he's perfectly fine. And now we've seen over the last few weeks as well where he's starting to struggle a little bit. Yeah, I'm just I'm wondering if these defenses have started to figure him out a little bit along the way as well. New York Jets at the Denver Broncos. Adam, this one's interesting. We are sitting now where a couple of the books have flipped where the Jets. Yes, the J.E.T.S. Jets, Jets, Jets on the road in Denver are favored by a point. There is still a couple of books out there where the Broncos are favored by a point. So let's call it a pick them. Thirty eight and a half is your total. We know Russell Wilson in this offense has been absolutely pathetic. We know Russell Wilson dealing with not only a shoulder injury, but now a hamstring injury. So a leg and a shoulder for a guy that's been unproductive anyway so far throughout the course of the season. A Jets team that seems to be on the up and up, though I think maybe 
a little bit, maybe a little bit too much positive sentiment for this team. If you really dig in, I mean, like they're, they're certainly on the right track. I don't think they're maybe as good as everyone is, is playing this. This is a very, very curious game to me. What say you? Keep steaming. Keep steaming because all it's going to do is give me a better Broncos number by the time mm-hmm. this game goes live. In fact, what I would love, y'all steam this to Jets minus two because I will take every bit of Broncos plus eight that yeah. you have to offer in this game. Zach Wilson sucks. <laughs> and just because Zach Wilson sucks a little bit less than he did last year doesn't mean Zach Wilson's any good. They won by three scores last week. His PFF grade was 35.5. Yeah. <laughs> we have gone way too far yeah. with this Jets narrative. Way too far. Now, on the other side with the Broncos, I get everything that's going on with the uh, Denver offense. It's terrible. I don't trust Nathaniel Hackett. I sure as hell don't trust Russell Wilson. But what I do trust but do you is the trust Denver Brett defense. Rippin is the question. Do you yeah, trust God. Brett Rippin? Yeah. I trust the Denver defense. And right. that's really where this, this starts and ends for me. I think the Denver defense is going to make life hell on Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this game is ultimately won or lost is are they able to make life difficult for him? Look, this is still the second rated DVOA defense in all of football, despite the fact that this offense has kept them on the field way, way too much. So you want to make the Jets the favorite. That is absolutely fine with me. I think this is a case of fading narratives that have gone too hard in both directions. The Jets aren't that good. The Broncos aren't good, but they're not that bad. I know we are down to 38, almost preseason-esque total here in this one, Stephen. I would be still inclined to play the under if I was going to play this. We do have an elite defense. This is not a mirage. I mean, you have what is might end up being the number one corner in all, the, all of football by the end of the season in Patrick Sertan and a really, really good each level of the defense. There's no way to pick on this defense at all. And so I do wonder... Even if we think, okay, let's say it is Brett Rippon who gets plugged into a broken offense, and then you get this Jets offense trying to score against this Denver defense. This has like 13-6, like 13-9, like whatever, like written all over it to me. And so even at a 38 total, I, I think that this is probably still an underplay. I agree with that. And mm-hmm. You know, we record this show on a Friday, but we're trying to find more ways here at the company to make sure you guys get the best of the number. I bet this Jets plus three and a half at the very start of the week. Thought it was a, a good number there. And, and that is a good go, number. Look, in a, in a game yeah, where I, I'm just saying, I, I'm literally telling you, I don't think there's going to be any points whatsoever scored in this game. So, I mean, if you're getting more than a field goal with either team, right? I mean, that's a that's a yeah. good number. So go to the lines.com top right corner, hit the discord button. And then under the roll server, you can hit the buttons to make sure you get push notifications when anybody on our staff locks in a bet to make sure you get the best of the number. Uh, Now, having that conversation is totally different than now having to bet on Zach Wilson to win a game. Like that's a very different conversation to Adam's point 30th and CPOE 29th and success rate since he's been back. Russell Wilson's been kind of just as bad, though, guys. So if he's playing with a bad hamstring, that's not great. Hack is a hack, so that's not looking good either. Uh, I don't really trust Brett Rippon because Nathaniel Hackett is still the head coach, and he couldn't even get Russell Wilson to complete passes to Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, who are pretty damn good. And I just I have a lot of faith in this Jets defense just as mu- in this matchup just as much as I have de- uh, faith in the Broncos defense, who I think is one of the top three defenses in the league at this point. But the Jets defense has that cheat code, man. Fourth in pressure, 
despite being 31st in blitz rate and Denver's 27th in pressure allowed. So points are going to come at a premium in this game. Um, so I, I, but I can't bet the, I can't bet the jets to win a game with Zach Wilson. I've upgraded them, but that's a different conversation than future weeks when we can have the talk of backing the jets to just cover as an underdog. Mm. Houston Texans at the Las Vegas Raiders. Right now, the Raiders are seven-point home favorites, a total of 45.5 or 46. Adam, I'm going to start with you because I know you've looked into this one. Both teams coming off of a bye here. I would say that we would all agree the Raiders are probably the best of the bad teams out there. The Texans are the Texans, a bottom-five team by pretty much any way you look at it. My question is, is do you feel comfortable at a touchdown with a Raiders squad that, again, has, for whatever reason, figured out ways to lose games despite the the talent, despite hanging in there for a few of these different games. And you do have a team coming off of a bye. Do we believe at all that the minimal amount of talent that the Texans have that you can get in a room for over the course of a bye week and devise a game plan that makes you look, you know, a little bit better than you actually are because you have two weeks to prepare for a game? That's kind of the handicap in this one to me is – is this like the Texans mini Super Bowl, right? Like you're coming out of a bye, you have two weeks to prepare for a game. You're going to Vegas. Like, you know, it's the afternoon time slot, like the whole nine yards. Like is, you know, what can you get out of this Texan squad? I have a hard lean on Houston plus seven. If mm. it gets to seven and a half, it is an absolute for sure thing mm. for me. A uh, couple things to consider here. The Las Vegas Raiders shouldn't be favored by seven points over anybody in the NFL right now uh, because they are finding ways to lose games. Now, that being said, they found a way to lose a very close one against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Now, that's a yeah. game that they easily could have won. We might be looking at this team very differently had they won that. But a couple things. Uh, Damian Pierce is really, really good. Uh, and really good for Houston. There is a little bit of talent there. And... Derek Stingley is probably going to get Devontae Adams. Derek Stingley has been pretty good this Mm -hmm. year, uh, all in all. And Darren Waller is not going to play. Foster Moreau is unlikely to play, although it's still possible. So they might not have any tight ends. Uh, Hunter Renfro is still working his way back. I'm not sure how healthy the weapons are going to be. So if Houston loads up against the run, tries to force Derek Carr to beat them, that could be a really interesting way for this game to stay within seven points. So lean Houston play it at seven and a half. Yeah. Seven and a half would be interesting for me on the Texan side as well. If we were to get there, what about you over there, Steven? No bet for me. You mentioned Stingley. I also just mentioned that their other corner, Steven Nelson has a top eight coverage grade by PFF. So they got some guys back there to help against the pass against this, uh, this Raiders offense. Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Chargers. Steven, it is a five, five and a half. So it's that dead zone as far as numbers go with the Chargers. It looks like they're going to get Keenan Allen back though. We've said that for the last three weeks as well. But I mean, it looks like Keenan Allen's finally going to be back for this Chargers team. Total set at 50, 50 and a half. So right under that key number of 51. We know Seattle has looked well against, has looked good against bad teams so far. This Chargers defense could be considered arguably bad. So maybe there's a, there is a, you know, one of those games under Seattle's belt in this one. But uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering why I don't want to bet the Chargers here. Why, if you're getting Keenan Allen back, am I hesitant in all this? And I think it's just because I think this game might play high variance. And like with that, it's typically something that I kind of shy away from. 
Yeah, for sure. I think, first of all, Brandon Staley has been a little bit more conservative than we anticipated him to be after he was, you know, running the Wild West out there on fourth downs a season ago. For me, the reason I'm hesitant is because of the secondary for the Chargers. All that hope we had coming into the season about this being a a really good defense, it, it has not panned out that way. You know, they don't have much in the secondary um to go by they signed jc jackson to a monster contract and he's gotten benched at this point he's been so bad i mean that contract 29.6 pff grade it's the lowest graded player regardless of any position that they graded so far this year in anything like he's the lowest graded player in the entire pro football focus database it's Malcolm Butler leaving the Patriots all over again and yeah. doing nothing. It's in a, in a couple of years, he'll be back on a cheap contract in mm. New England after he got his money and playing well in that system again. I'm sure it's it's like wizardry over there in New England. But even even besides him, the Chargers don't have a top 40 coverage grade corner. And now they have to face DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And the pass rush is not as good with Bosa not out there. So um, tough spot for, for me here to back the Chargers to cover what is more than a field goal, more than four. That's, that's, that's not really a position I want to back the Chargers at at this point. Adam, uh, you know, look, I think Geno Smith has been good. I think Geno Smith has been blown us away with how well he has played so far this year. That being said, I think there was a little bit of coming down to earth last week is whenever we saw this and maybe we're again, we just talked about a little bit earlier with Jacoby Brissett. Maybe the league is starting to figure out a little bit about the Seattle Seahawks offense here. That being said, the Chargers defense doesn't instill you know much hope if you're talking about stopping anybody either so it's it's a very it's it's a super interesting game to me and again this uh this Chargers team one of the ones that we all thought was going to be super super good this year last week's Seattle game on both sides of the ball is the reason I'm not betting this game Mm. Seattle offense wasn't as good as it should have been against the Arizona Cardinals and Seattle defense was way better than it should have been and they're both results that for what we know about the Seahawks make me say whoa 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 hang on a second what do I know about this team and that'll keep me away from this one yeah I think if anything it's an underlook I think this total kind of got bloated because we're you know Seattle uh, offense no, no defense whatever blah blah stuff like that like Again, I think that maybe there is a little bit of coming back down to earth here. I do think there's a pretty solid lean to me. If this got to 51 and a half by any by, you know, by kickoff, I would certainly come in on the under in that one. Premier game of the afternoon, Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. As we sit, this thing is on the move. My screen has been lighting up since we have been sitting here, fellas, at one book all the way down to a point and a half now in favor of the Chiefs. This thing was sitting on the three. Uh, is down to a point and a half at a lot of books, two at the majority of them out there. 49 is the total. I'm going to go to you, Adam, here with this one. I mean, listen, I get it. I see why it's moving. The injury report has been favorable for the 49ers on the defensive side of the ball. It looks like they're going to get Bosa back. That is a massive, massive, massive deal for this 49ers team. That being said, it is still the offense that has not looked great since Jimmy Garoppolo has taken over. Going up against a Chiefs squad, that is still going to score points. It doesn't matter who's playing defense for the 49ers and is playing defense, uh, you know, decent, uh, certainly above average in the NFL. Um, is there a buy point for you or or has that missed? Have you already missed that because you were on the 49ers side? 
I will wait for the best Kansas City number I can get. I have been staring yeah. at this thing all week long, wondering why it's as short as it is, because I think we're undervaluing Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, now, you talk about San Francisco. All right. Mosley's done for the year. Kinlaw's done for the year. The Jimmy Ward, Charvarius Ward. Uh, you can go on and on and on down the line with San Francisco, with Ebicam. I, I, I could just keep throwing names out there of guys who are hurt on the San Francisco defense. And ultimately, in the end, I think the question is going to be, can Kansas City do what it's done offensively? Yes. Uh, can we expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be able to get the job done for San Francisco in a spot where I think because we know Kansas City is going to score points, you're going to have situations where everyone knows Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw the ball, either trailing or close from behind, you know, or, or tied or whatever. Those are the situations he generally does not do well. I'm leaning Kansas City. I'll wait to see where we ultimately fall, but uh, that's where I'm at on this one. Yeah, I think we've gotten to the buy point for me now, guys, actually. Uh, the flat, too. There's a point and a half available out there as well. Um, I, I think we've gotten to the buy point for me on Kansas City. Steven, if you look at this, I mean, even even if even at full strength, I think we would say that the 49ers defense is yes, maybe at full strength. Would it be rated slightly ahead of the bills? Probably, but it's not going to be at full strength. Yes, it's better with Bosa out there. No doubt about it. But would you say that they're exponentially better than the bills? I would not. And Kansas City was still able to score points on the bills. But one thing the bills have that the 49ers don't is that offense to come back and fire back at this Chiefs team in which the 49ers just don't have. I think that we are kind of inflating here this 49ers defense and, and Bosa coming back, which is big. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm, I, I think maybe we've blown this kind of out of proportion at this point. I mean, we're under a field goal with this Chiefs team that is still elite, is still one of the better offenses out there. And this defense, again, has played much, much better than we thought. Yeah, I can't figure out if if this line movement is injury optimism or a really stupid Christian McCaffrey move with them maybe playing a few red zone snaps this week. I don't yeah. know what it is, but I'm not sure I agree with it. I'm I'm a Niners fan. I'm really excited about the move, and I think mm -hmm. if they get healthy on defense, this is a team that can have a team that can compete with the Eagles in the NFC. I will mention that they do get a little extra help, extra help back in this week. Jason Verrett is coming back at cornerback Niners, which is a big help for them. He's been injury plagued, but when he's on the field, we're talking about a guy who has a, a passer rating allowed of like less than 80 over multiple years. Mm -hmm. So this guy's good, and, and that's a big help, but they're still pretty banged up all along the way. And as we record this Friday morning, I'm not at the point where I have optimism that all these guys are going to play on Sunday. So I can't make so a can Niners bet at this point, especially now that I'm getting the worst of the number. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think this is a Chiefs play for me. Actually, probably a buy point for me right now. I think as soon as we get off here, I'm going to go ahead and play uh, the Chiefs. And this one, guys, we'll have standalone videos for Sunday night football and Monday night football. Just some kind of closing remarks here, Adam. Uh, I think this is probably a uh, buy low spot on the Dolphins. I think that this Dolphins team, if we were insured of health for Tua, they'd be eight, nine, 10 point favorites here in this game against the Steelers. But because there's that little bit of question, um, that's still lingering. I think the Patriots are one of the better teaser legs of the entire season, getting them down to two over the bears. What do you think about Sunday night football and Monday night football? 
I think that the very first thing I put in my account on Sunday night was Miami minus one, New England minus one and a half teaser. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite play of the week. And I am someone who has not been teasing down favorites. I have been only yep. teasing up this year. I love this pair of plays. Pittsburgh is getting blown up because of what they did last week against Tampa. That was more about Tampa. Chicago is abysmal. I'm with you, man. I I, I love both of these as well. I honestly think, again, if if, if we knew that Tua was healthy, this 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 line would be close to double digits, if not double digits. Uh, Steven, what do you think about Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football? I've added uh, a futures play here for Offensive Player of the Year. Actually, two of them this week. One involves Sunday Night Football with the Miami Dolphins with Tyreek Hill at 16-1. to 1. And also, it got taken off the board last night, but Christian McCaffrey at 50-1 to 1 is what I bet, but you can still find a 75-1 to 1 on him to win Offensive Player of the Year. He's fourth in scrimmage yards, and I think this market overall is getting some value on some running backs and wide receivers because there's quarterbacks near the top of the board. And it's been multiple years in a row where a quarterback does not win this award. It's not impossible, but we're seeing more and more that this is not a quarterback award. So if there are QBs near the top of the odds board, then there's going to be value on other guys. And the two I pinpointed were Tyree Kill, who already leads the NFL in receiving. If he does that, he's got a great shot to win. He shouldn't be 16 to one right now. And Christian McCaffrey, who could very easily be a 1900 scrimmage yards guy, get a lot more touchdowns than he would have in Carolina. And he's done enough in Carolina to keep him in this conversation and now he's got a brilliant situation rest of season he should not be 75 to 1 guys everything you do absolutely free so be sure subscribe rate review for listening to audio version if this is a video version hit that subscribe button down below we really do appreciate it Uh, everything we do with the lines again absolutely free let us know in the comments how you are playing here in week seven good luck on all of your bets